This episode of The Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hi, I'm Amy Farley, Senior Editor at Fast Company. We're taking a look at some of our favorite moments from the 2021 Fast Company Innovation Festival. Here's a conversation about closing the gender financing gap with Ali Burns, CEO of Village Capital, Shruti Chandrashakur, Head of Startup Catalyst and SME Ventures and the Africa Regional Lead at the International Finance Corporation, and Odinayu Iwanini, Co-Founder and COO at PiggyVest. Hi, everyone. I'm Pavitra Mohan, a staff writer here at Fast Company. Thank you so much for joining us today for this session on the gender financing gap for female founders across the world and how we can try to address it. I want to briefly introduce our panelists for today. First, we have Ali Burns, who is the CEO of impact investing firm Village Capital and has nearly two decades of experience working with entrepreneurs and innovators at the intersection of tech and social change. Shruti Chandrasekhar is the head of Startup Catalyst and SME Ventures at the IFC. She's investing and managing a portfolio of funds across frontier markets with a focus on emerging managers and impact. And Odunayu Iwini is the co-founder and COO of PiggyVest, a digital investment platform in Nigeria. She previously co-founded PushCV.com, one of the largest job sites in Africa with the largest database of pre-screened candidates. And she is also the co-founder of First Check Africa, a woman-led angel fund that invests in women in African tech. And she's also on the board of Village Capital. So thank you all again for being here. Um, I wanted to start by having you share some framing thoughts, particularly for the folks listening who might not be as familiar with the, how global this problem is. So in emerging markets, startups with a woman on their leadership team reportedly get just 11% of total seed financing. And the total share of VC dollars in emerging markets is also much less to begin with. So could you talk about some of the issues that female founders in emerging markets are up against? And I'd love for either one of you to start with this question. Well, maybe I can start by framing a little bit about who we are uh, at Village Capital. Uh, we are um, one of the, over the last decade, we've become one of the most active uh, supporters and investors in early stage impact-driven entrepreneurs. And we are very intentional about finding entrepreneurs who have been overlooked and underestimated by the early stage investment ecosystem. Um, that, of course, includes uh, women-led companies. We, When you look at the data, you just cited uh, the, the statistics that we know when you look at the U.S. data, um, you know, less than 2% of or just around 2% of uh, VC dollars go to women-led companies. Um, so we know that there's a, a huge challenge there. Um, we have a very unique process that we use to make investment decisions. Um, we run accelerators uh, with cohorts of 10 to 12 companies, and we actually ask those companies to make a decision on who should receive investment. So they have a peer review-based process. Um, it's a very rigorous process. And as we've been undertaking this process in 110 companies, we saw that our portfolio was a lot more diverse than your average seed stage portfolio. So 46% of the companies in our portfolio are led by women um, versus, again, those uh, really depressing statistics I mentioned before. Um, and we also are um, seeing a lot more diversity in terms of geography, race, uh, ethnicity in our portfolio. So we really wanted to understand um, what was happening um, in 
in our portfolio and found uh, that um, the peer review process actually did mitigate gender bias. So that's a little bit about us. Um, and I'll let Shruti share a little bit about what they're seeing at IFC. Thanks, Ali. Uh, so, Pavitra, as you as you rightly described, you know, this is a problem that we're seeing and we've been seeing for a while. Uh, so I've been uh, in the private equity and venture capital space for around 15 years now. And it it's it hasn't been uncommon to consistently invest in just male-led companies and to work in environments that are predominantly men. Um, and it's been for most of my career outside of the IFC. And it's something that the IFC for, for many years now has been trying to address in different forms. Um, and if you look at the if you look at the, the numbers, it's a problem that is global, right? Like if you look at the United States, if you look at Europe, if you look at Asia, if you look at Africa, everywhere, the percentage of dollars going towards female founders is at max 10%, right? And it varies around that with, you know, a small standard deviation, but it's, it's a very small fraction of the capital that's actually being invested. Uh, and, and so what we try to do with the IOC, and we primarily work in the emerging markets, uh, when we sort of wanted to deal with this problem, we said, oh, let's see if there are any markets where they've addressed this issue and if we can learn from them. And in most of our other work, when we're working in developing countries, we're able to turn to you know, more advanced uh, economies and see the different things that they tried, what worked, what didn't, and sort of use that to guide our pathway to a certain extent. Uh, it doesn't always work because you, know, you have to change context based on culture and, and market that you're in. But with, with the imbalance that we see in the, the allocation of private capital, there was no market we could look at, right? It wasn't like there was a country that had figured out how to fix this issue and had dealt with it. Um, and, and so it was a very interesting journey for us to start understanding what were the drivers of these problems? You know, what, where did the problem lie? You know, did we, which segment of the, the private capital space, you know, we should look at first? Should we look at the seed stage? Should we look at growth equity? Should we look at the investor universe and see, you know, do we address that problem first, bring more women investors in? Is there a correlation between, you know, investors or women and, um, and investing companies? And so these were all questions that we had. And so we started doing um, a bit of research, right? And we, the first uh, in-depth report that we published on the venture capital and private equity space was around three years ago. When we looked at, you know, what is the state of affairs and what, are, what is the data telling us? And what we saw there was, this was a global problem, as I've mentioned. We saw that female investors did influence more capital towards female investees. Um, it, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't like, a, you know, if you, look, if you took a female investor, all of a sudden, you know, 50% of the companies she, she was investing in were led by women. Uh, but it was more than male investors. And so there was some sort of a network effect. Uh, in terms of their sourcing, and so we identified a couple of um, a, a couple of key points uh, in terms of where the data sat. And since then, we've been trying to even in our own investment activities figure out how we can address this problem across every investment, right? Because it's it's there's no one solution, and it's not that you know all of a sudden if I say I'm only going to invest in women, I as an individual am solving the problem. Uh, there's a you know the whole market has to come together. We have to we have to work on different aspects. So, so yeah, so that's where we are now. We're trying to trying to move the needle. And we've done a couple of additional pieces of research since then 
you know, some of them together with Ali and Village Capital. And so if anyone's interested, happy to show so we, we're still, you know, talking about kind of what the landscape looks like, um, why the gender financing gap persists. And I know that you as a female founder yourself have experienced these hurdles. And I'd love to hear from you. You know, I know it took you about a year to raise funding for your company. Uh, I, and I'd love to hear about your experience going through trying to get financing and what were some of the challenges that you faced during that time? Right. Okay. Um, when we started Piggy Vest in 2016, uh, January, we immediately realized that we needed funding for the business. But one of the things that was obvious was that no local VC would give us money. Um, and a lot of the reason is that the business was the first of its kind in Nigeria. There were 22 big banks in Nigeria at the time. And we were very, very you know, relatively young founders telling them that, oh, we can do this better than, you know, banks can. So between 2016 and I think about June 2017, when we concluded the Village Capital Accelerator, we had zero capital injection into the business. We met with a lot of um, investors. We met with even some banks that kind of tried to get funding. Um, we're building this, but the answer was always a no at this Essentially, the business—they're like your business is not going to survive. Um, what you're doing is not going to work. The banks are going to encroach and take like all of the space that you've gained for yourself. And so, we didn't get any money until the first fifty k that we got from Village Capital in June 2017. Yeah, and I know that you mentioned that you went through the Village Capital Accelerator program. Um, Ali mentioned at the top that they do this really unique peer review process. Um, I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about your experience in the program and, and what that was like. I think, I mean, uh, Alice Wright is a very unique experience. Um, you're going in your group of about 10 to 12 founders. And the interesting part is now each of you has to objectively, like, um, evaluate the other person to see if they're, like, you know, worth investing in. Or it, well, if they're, like, you know, you feel very strongly that this person should be the one to get the money. So you're going in there, you're not able to tell like the investors that like give me the money instead you're voting for other people to get the money, which is a kind of a unique position to be in. And so we went there, uh, the cohort of, I think 11 other startups from across Africa. Uh, there was representation from French speaking Africa, uh, you know, like from Western Africa, from East Africa. It was a very interesting experience because it, it becomes this kind of intimate thing where you're asking questions about, people's businesses that you ordinarily wouldn't ask your peers because you're trying to evaluate them to see if like you'd put them at the top of your list for the money. And coming out the end of that, I, I think it taught us two things. One was investor readiness. Um, before we went in there, I could confidently say that investor readiness wasn't like a, it wasn't a thing that was top of our list. We'd already been burned by investors, so we weren't preparing for them. And the second thing was storytelling. You know, if you're trying to convince people to vote for you to get the money, you get very good at telling your own story in a very con convincing and a very cohesive way. So those were the two things. And I guess the third thing was um, take, being able to take a better view of someone else's business, which helped me way down the line when I decided to become a VC, is you, you, you learn how to ask the right questions. And so those three things were our key takeaway from the program. And it, we went away, like, having made friends. We're still in touch with those people. And then some of them have gone on to other businesses. But, like, 
that kind of experience you don't really get it with any other person. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So I want to go back a little bit to some of the research that IFC and, and Village Capital have done on this issue to try and understand why this gap is so persistent. And you learned some surprising things about accelerators. So I think first it'd be helpful, Ali, if you could talk a little bit about why accelerators have been seen as this potential solution to this problem and, um, you know, what was sort of the promise of them? And we can get into some of the things that you found out through your research. Yeah, so it started with, as I mentioned, we noticed some things that were different about our portfolio vis-a-vis other seed stage portfolios. And so we um, we had a few questions about the peer selection process. And um, one of them was, does it actually work? Are entrepreneurs actually accurately predicting the performance of their peers? So we did a wholesale research project after we had run this process with about a thousand companies to better understand um, the performance of the companies that were selected and the performance of the companies that were not selected over um, over time um, since they had been in the program. And um, we found two things. One, by and large, yes, entrepreneurs are good uh Judges of ideas and their and their investment potential, they were choosing the companies that were the best performers, both in terms of revenue generated um, as well as capital raised um, after the program. And then the other thing that we did find was that, by and large, we were mitigating, not eliminating, because I think it's impossible to eliminate bias, but mitigating gender bias, that the entrepreneurs were selecting the companies that were the best performers, agnostic of who the founders were, and that the women-led companies were performing um, as expected after the program. So that got us curious um, about the role that accelerators can play in uh, leveling the playing field. And that's why we, part of why we partnered with Shruti and her team at the IFC um, and the Women's Entrepreneurship Finance Initiative, as well as the World Bank Gender Innovation Lab to try to better understand the role that accelerators are playing in helping um, women-led businesses raise capital. So Maybe I'll let Shruti share a little bit about what we we found um, in the research, uh, but that that sort of led us to undertaking this effort. Thanks, Ali. Yes. So when we heard the numbers that Ali had had achieved across the programs of Village Capital, it was leaps and bounds higher than what we'd seen in the market. And you know, my day job we invest in seed funds and accelerators, and we're consistently trying to work with them to move the needle. But when we saw the numbers of the capital, it was like three times what we what we normally see, right? So, so we said, okay, what are you guys doing that's so different that could then be an aspect that other accelerators could embrace to address that gap uh, in terms of the the entities that they're financing? Um, and so we we started looking at their data, and we managed to get a wider set of data across uh, acceleration programs to understand if there was bias, to understand if there were design elements to the program that influenced who got the financing. Uh, we looked at what were the factors that you know, are influencing how person views and uh, uh, an, op- an opportunity to invest in a startup. Is there some aspect that makes it appear to be riskier? Are there aspects that you know, make it more attractive? Um, and, and, and try to understand how much of that was tied to gender and how much of it wasn't. Um, and we, we found a couple of key insights, one of which was very surprising is that, you know, when you looked at a company that has gone through an acceleration program, when it was a male-led company, and this was not just on the village capital portfolio, you know, this was a very large data set across a whole number of accelerators. When we, when we looked at a, a male-led company that went through an acceleration program, you saw a clear bump 
in their ability to fundraise, right? So the amount of money that they raised uh, pre-acceleration and the amount of money that they raised post-acceleration, there was a, a, a significant delta. And we also looked at companies that had applied to these accelerators, but that didn't get selected and saw how much money they'd raised. And so let's, let's say for, for a male-led startup, they went from this point to this point. Uh, for uh, after going through acceleration, if they didn't go through acceleration, a male-led startup went from here to here, right? So acceleration did give them a delta. Whereas for female-led startups, you know, whether they went through acceleration or not, the increase they saw was the same. So in some way, a woman going through, the, through an accelerator wasn't becoming as attractive to investors, whereas a, a male-led company going through accelerators all, almost all of a sudden got significantly more attractive. And so for us, that, that flummoxed us, right? Like, like, what is causing this? And so that's part of the study that we're currently going through where we're trying to figure out, you know, what is it about a, a startup when polished and ready and, you know, they've, been, they've got support on investor readiness, they've got support on how to access the market. They're still not able to achieve the same amount of financing that a male-led startup can. And so in the first, first piece, we looked at what was the data telling us and now we're trying to understand the why. Uh, and so in sometime in the near future, we'll, we'll publish our results to, to the work that we've done on understanding why. Uh, and I don't know if Ali wants to speak a little bit more about the, the piece that we're working on, but I'll hand it over to her if she has anything else to add. Yeah, we are, we're in a bit, we're in research mode. So there's a lot coming that will come later. And we're really excited to share that um, when we have more. But um, what we're doing now is trying to test interventions to better understand what might what might work to eliminate that uh, delta uh, that between uh, the impact of accelerators on women-led companies versus male-led companies um, to to try to understand how investor behavior is is influencing um, that. And so some of the questions we're asking as part of the research, for example, are um, risk and reward. I think we probably all seen the studies that show that investors ask women entrepreneurs much more about risk um, and men more about reward or opportunities. So what happens if the questions emphasizing risk and reward are similar um, across companies, regardless of their gender makeup? Um, one of the things that Odun talked about a little bit was um, what she went through in the, in the Village Capital Program um, included evaluating um, the company's progress over time against specific milestones. So the entrepreneurs have three months together um, over and then they, you know, spend a week together and then they have sort of three weeks in between spending another week together. So they have homework that they have to do to achieve specific milestones. What if investors were really looking at progress over time against milestones rather than really often a snapshot in time um, of the company? So that's another question we're asking ourselves. Um, what happens if investors are actually uh, adherent to objective investment criteria. I think investors often have a set of investment criteria that they use, but um, talk a lot about going with their gut and how they feel about the person, et cetera. So what happens if objective criteria takes a more prominent and um, adherent role? So those are some of the questions we're asking ourselves and we're um, doing that through a series of different initiatives um, that we'll be able to talk about a little bit more in a couple of months. So looking forward to being able to do that. This episode of Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com.
So, I mean, one of the issues with investor bias is, of course, the lack of diversity, even among investors. And it seems like that is also, you know, very slow moving um, to see change in that area. And so, Shruti, I wonder if you can talk about, um, you know, what what the situation is when it comes to how many CEOs you're seeing in the VC or private equity space um, and, and why that's an issue and how that impacts how they invest. So we're starting to see change, which is always good. Slow change, but we're starting to see change. Firms that were all male have made an effort to, to add a, a woman to their ranks. Now, um, how meaningful is that change is something that can be debated because there are studies that show, you know, capital under management for female partners at VC firms is not in the same league as the male partners in those things. Uh, so, you know, but at least now there's a female partner. It wasn't a female partner before, right? So we're starting to see change. We're starting to see more... Um, female-led um, funds appear in the market. So women are now starting to found more firms, recognizing that this is a problem. We're also starting to see uh, more funds take on an intentional approach on gender and, and trying to make a difference with the investments that they're making. So, you know, not, not going with the, the fact that, oh, you know, I, I'm not seeing any female startups. They're just not in the pipeline. So, you know, I can't invest because they don't exist but people are making an active effort to source um, female-led companies. So we're starting to see those changes. They're also market-led um, initiatives. Uh, so one of the, the, the big initiatives on, in, in emerging markets is the, uh, the, the 2X uh, initiative, where a number of DFIs have come together, and they're working to deploy more capital to women-led companies you know, through different means, through banks, uh, in terms of lending to women, women-led companies through funds, in terms of investing in female-led companies, and also the funds where the teams themselves have built a stronger gender balance team. Um, and uh, that initiative is growing. The goal uh, for the next five years is to have $15 billion of financing go to women-led companies. And uh, we're, we're moving quite actively on that. I actually have a board meeting for 2X right after this. So, so we're, we're making a difference. We're trying. Um, but it's, it's slow going. It's still not uncommon to, to invest in a venture capital fund or a private equity fund where the entire team is male. Uh, we're starting to see certain um, proactive investors take a stance on this. Um, and it's, uh, it's reassuring where I've been in investment committee meetings where people point out the fact that this team is all male and that doesn't sit well with the committee. And that was a comment you never heard uh, in the past, right? So it, it's nice to see those type of changes come about. So Odinayo, you talked earlier about how now you're on the other side of things and working as an investor as well. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about the work you're doing with First Check Africa and how you're trying to increase access to funding for women in tech. So um, a lot of the observations that led to us launching First Check was mostly around... Um, how pre-seed deals were being structured in Africa. So you hear all these announcements, so X company has raised X million as pre-seed or X thousand as pre-seed. Um, but what we realize is a lot of those deals um, are usually structured over drinks, um, you know, like over beer and in just generally in areas and environments where women would typically not be present. So um, there is a broy culture around getting your company started and getting the funding to even 
go from idea to MVP. And it's very hard for women to break into that. So the pipeline that you see at the top where you're seeing that um, of a batch of an accelerator program, only two women are present and as opposed to 18 men, is really a bottom of the funnel problem. If women don't get funds to start up these ideas, to build an MVP to test, they will never like get to the point where you're seeing them as graduating from these programs. And for a long time, when you spoke about women in tech in Africa, you had the same names. And that represented the problem because no one was doing something about that. And I had this very interesting conversation with an investor in 2020, in November. And I asked, like, why is your portfolio still 95% male? And he said, oh, there, there's no pipeline of women. That women aren't building as much. And then he said, no offense. And, you know, I was offended, but that's beside the point. I then had a conversation with my like uh, one of my friends and someone I've worked with, and we decided that what if we like created this experiment that could actually show that women are building, and if you give them the resources that early in the game, like the men have access to, you'd see a lot of startups like start to be built from there. So in January of this year, we launched Fast Check, and it's targeted mostly at early, very, very, very early stage, we call it ridiculously early companies that are women-led or have diverse teams. I will give them $25,000 and just tell them, build over the next six to 12 months. Um, we've written now five of those checks. Um, we will have written eight by the end of this year. And we've seen those startups go on to attract follow-on funding. But without that $25,000, I would have never heard about those startups and probably the world also never would have. And that's kind of why I'm very proud of the work that we're doing along with like several other um, mission aligned venture capitalists, like give women the money they need, give them the resources they need. Let's put a stop to accelerator programs that are just about the mentorship. We need the mentorship, but we also need the money and we cannot continue to have like um, women founders be over-mentored but underfunded uh, because it's literally the opposite for the men. People believe so much that they can do these things and so just hand them the money. How about we try that for the women? So that, that's why I first checked. Yeah, so I also wondered, you know, you mentioned that a lot of these companies do go on to get follow-on funding. I'm curious if you're able to kind of introduce them to people who, who can invest in them, you know, how do you help them make sure that they're able to then go on to get more funding? Because I know that that is also a big challenge where people might get smaller checks and then it's much harder for them to raise money down the line. So that's a very interesting thing about being in this position is I've been through that journey and now like guiding other women through it is very easy. Uh, we've given them money, they've gone on to build. So when it's time to raise that follow-on funding, we're with them. We're fighting for them. We, we're not allowing them to be valued less than their male counterparts who are building the same industry. Uh, so we're making sure not only like are we like helping them like refine their pitch. We still use the village capital viral pathway, by the way. And you know, you refine the pitch, you teach them how to tell their story. Um, we're connecting them to experts who can help them develop different aspects of their business. And then we're connecting them directly to people who can give them money. Um, I've been a founder for about eight years in the tech ecosystem. My co-founder, Eloho, has been an investor for far longer. So between us, we have a very healthy-sized network of people who can invest in these women. And we're introducing them as soon as we announce. We're making introductions to people who can connect them to Y Combinator, 
We can connect them to the most active venture capitalists on the continent and out of it so that they're being exposed to the same opportunities that other founders have been, even though they're just like getting started in the game. Yeah. You know, Shruti, I was I was thinking um, you had talked about how this gap only gets worse and it, it persists, you know, whether you're looking at seed rounds or late stage investments. Um, and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you see that that gap kind of get worse uh, as you go further on. And and maybe what are some of the things that uh, investors could be doing differently, particularly when it comes to those late stage investments? And Ali, I'd love to hear from you as well. Sure, happy to take that question from there. So what we looked at is the, the share of financing going to women-led companies at each stage of financing. Uh, and it's something we care about because we invest across the border. We invest from seed all the way to growth equity. Um, and there was a higher portion of capital going towards women in the acceleration pre-seed seed space um, compared to sort of late-stage growth. But it was small and it just got smaller. So by the time you got to growth equity, you're talking about 5% of the capital going to mm-hmm. So if we don't fix the problem early, then it's harder to fix the problem later because if a company is not getting that first check, you know, uh, hashtag first check for Odenayo, but if they're not getting that first check, they're not going to get, you know, they're not going to get to growth equity. So it's, it's, that, it's that funnel that you need to sort of fix across the board. And what we also saw is uh, a lot of times so we looked at uh, companies that were led by women and companies that were led by men and saw if they had a change in CEO post-investment. Mm-hmm. And we saw that when there was a woman-led company, the change to a male CEO post-investment happened much more frequently than if it was a male-led company and a change to a female CEO. So, so the, the, the sad reality was, even though women are getting funded at these slow, slow numbers, um, they are not staying as the head of the companies that they have founded post-investment. So the problem gets worse because you could, be, you could get Series A funding, you're a female-founded company, but by the time your company gets to growth equity, uh, the investors have replaced the, the female who ran that company with a man. And we saw that happen periodically. Uh, across across markets, right? So it's it's a problem that so even if you're not investing in a female-like company, you could work towards building talent that could grow and become senior management over time, and you could increase the number of female-like companies in in, in the universe. But um, you know, so when people say I'm not finding I'm not finding pipeline, there are different things that investors can do. Uh, you could work with your with your startups to say, you know, you might not be gender balanced right now, a company founded by by three guys who went to college together with the same, you know, fraternity or student group or whatever. Um, but uh, you know, as you've as you've grown, you could either keep it in that same sort of group of people, or you could try to try to diversify, right? And that's that's uh, intentional activity. Like when you're growing your firm, you could actively say, I'm going to build out a diverse team. Because if you talk to most founders, they worked at a startup at some point before they actually became a founder, right? So you work at one startup, you work at another startup, then you leave and you start your own. Uh, And that's a fairly common journey. So if we're not increasing the number of women who are working at startups, we're limiting the pool of potential founders for the future, right? So there are little things that you can do. You might 
you might, you know, at this point still have a portfolio that's predominantly male founded companies, but you could work with all those men to build diverse teams so that for your next fund, you've created a new sort of cater of, of uh, female founders. And so there are different things that you can do. And so one of the things that we did is, and we get these questions from investors, right? Saying, oh, you know, you work on gender. Can you tell us what to do? We'd love to do something, but we just don't know what to do. Uh, and we'd run some uh, master classes for our own um, fund managers that we've invested with. And CDC, the, the development investment arm of the UK government, had also run some similar classes. And, and so we decided that you know, we're going to partner, take all the learnings we've had from the sessions that we have run, and put it into a guide that we share with the public. So any investor who wants to do something, there's a resource out there that you could go to and say, these are things that other people have tried. I can try some of that too. And so, so that's what we did. We, uh, we developed last November, we launched a guide uh, for fund managers to implement a gender lens on their fund. And there are different ways you can do it. You can do it on your own team. You can do it uh, in your investment portfolio. You can start with just one thing and then build on it. You know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a big problem and there's a lot to do. Uh, so even a small step can start making a difference. Um, and so that's another thing that we've been, we've been trying to make a difference on. Yeah, I think there, there's so many more resources now to address this problem. And of course, as you said, people are having the sorts of conversations that they weren't before. Uh, one thing I'm wondering is this peer-to-peer model, Ali, seems very unique. And I am curious if you've had conversations with other investors about adopting something like this. Um, you know, why aren't we seeing more of this type of a model if it's been shown to be pretty effective? Yeah, yeah. Um... Yes, it is very unique. Um, we have seen some other uh, investors and um, in philanthropy, this is actually uh, sort of the peer review based process, um, bringing the stakeholders that are impacted, uh, participatory philanthropy, it, it happens a lot more often in investment. It's happening less often, but we have, we're seeing more people um, try to understand how they can include more voices. Um, in investment decision-making. So if we see entrepreneurs sitting on an IC, like that's another way to implement something like this. Um, I think there are a couple of systematic barriers to making this uh, a reality to, to see more often. And I hope we can overcome some of them. One again is um, fear of loss of control. Investors like to think mm -hmm. that they are the 100% the experts um, and um, you're telling them that actually you're not. Uh, the entrepreneurs are, and that's a that's a hard thing to to sell to LPs too. Is we're actually we're going to rely on somebody else to make those decisions for us. We we were able to 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 convince LPs, and they've been very happy with the fact that we are very good at finding companies, and we're very good at prepping them for investment. And uh, the companies themselves are really good at evaluating uh, the opportunity. But that's a it is a scary thing to sort of seed control um, in a system that has been very top down for as long as it's been in existence. Um, but I think, again, we're seeing as people are thinking about creative ways to overcome um, the inherent bias that exists in the system, trying to find other ways to add new and different voices to the process. So would we love to see everybody use some peer review related model? Sure. But in reality, I think as we uh, see people take aspects of it, whether it's using objective criteria, whether it's using a milestone-based process, bringing new voices into um, investment decision-making, that is is awesome to see. 
Yeah. So I know you're still doing research on on what some of those issues are when it comes to investor bias. But if there's anything more you can share on that um, and what you have found so far, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, well, this is sort of unrelated to the research, but a point I was uh, was going to make sort of building on the objective criteria, um, reducing reliance on the warm introduction. Um, yeah. A lot of investors, particularly at the early stage, say, you know what, I only take warm intros. I won't accept unsolicited proposals. That leaves a lot of people on the sidelines when you have investors that are all from a certain place, operating a certain place, operating in certain networks. Um, and so um, we really believe that um, we should try to do away with the warm introduction as much as possible. It's a little bit of contradictory thinking because the other thing that women need is warm introductions to uh, investors. So trying to figure out what is the right balance, um, particu- but particularly at the earliest stages, how do we get investors out of their uh, mindset that, you know what, it's going to be too overwhelming to receive a bunch of unsolicited proposals. But if people can use, again, objective criteria and uh, data and technology exists today that allows people to to create systems that that don't make it too cumbersome to evaluate a company based on those objective criteria. So that's a a big thing that, that, that we're thinking about. The warm introduction, I think, is relevant even in terms of bringing diversity into investment teams. Because hiring uh, in private equity and venture capital is very introduction driven, uh, and, and and so it it keeps the the demographic uh, composition unchanged because you're you're relying on an introduction. So it's it's at the the capital recipient level. It's also in terms of the composition. Yeah. So, I mean, to close, is there anything else that, you know, any of you think that investors could be doing differently, things they can be thinking about? Um, you know, what are some other ways, in addition to all the things we've already discussed, um, that we might try and tackle this problem? And I'd love to also hear from you on that, Odinayu, as a founder yourself, um, you know, some of the things that you've seen that you feel could change in the system. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know how possible this is, but um, I think that's like Tracy said, you do need to get like a bit more diversity into the decision-making chairs um, because whether consciously or unconsciously, people tend to feel more comfortable investing in people who look like them or have things in common with them. And so that's when you have a bunch of people with certain characteristics making investment decisions leaves anyone who doesn't fit already out there. And so those biases are easily solved by having other voices in the room who are able to like help objectively, I suppose, mitigate any biases that could come up. And for me, that's, that's one of the most important things is when you get other people, people of color, women, members of the LGBTQ community into the decision, decision-making like roles, you're able to find a bit more balance in where the funds are going to and you know, like what startups are getting funded and eventually you're widening the funnel whether you know, whether you realize it or not. Shruti Ali, anything you wanted to add before we close? I'd add, um, related to to the point that Odinayo just made, um, the people who hold a lot of power in this system are the people who are deploying capital to fund managers, the, the LPs. And I think the LPs can play a lot bigger role in insisting um, that the Funder, the funds that they're investing in have diverse teams. Um, I think that could be a real game changer if LPs had to use their weight a little bit more um, to insist on changing the system. 
I, I, I completely agree with Ali. And I think that, you know, oftentimes when you're talking about the, the imbalance in capital allocation, you know, the natural sort of solution is why don't we invest in a, you know, female-led fund that focuses on female-led companies and, you know, I'll do one investment in that space and, you know, I'll feel like I've ticked the, ticked the box in, in, you know, addressing, addressing this issue. And I don't think that's going to solve this problem. I think, especially as investors, we need to look at all our investments. And like the ideal is, you know, you have every fund in your portfolio, whether it's led by a man or a woman, have a fairly balanced portfolio. Uh, and we're very far from there, right? And, and so the solution needs to be that every fund looks at themselves, looks at their portfolio and tries to make a difference because that's when we start bringing about change. Um, you know, I, I think there is a lot of room for, for new activity and I hope to see more and more women launching their funds and we, were, we look forward to supporting them. But the, 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 the weight shouldn't just be on women to fix this problem, right? Like it's, it's not just about women setting up funds to invest in women that is going to solve this solution. Like it needs to be everybody thinking about the fact that when there's gender balance, it's a good thing. You know, we're not saying it, it needs to be all female or all male. We're saying either leads to more limited thought. And if there's a way to have a more balanced, uh, balanced team, there's benefit to everyone. And so that's sort of the, at least what we are trying to do. Thank you all so much for being here today. This was a really informative session. And I also wanted to thank the audience for joining us today. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the festival.